one genuine turn by Octobus. If not perfectly satisfied, your wasted time will be refunded. When Milo received a mysterious and intriguing package through the post, all his previous feelings of boredom are banished. Having nothing better to do, he points his pedal car towards the strange land beyond the Tobith, and quicker than a flash, he's entered the Kingdom of Wisdom, where everything is unexpected. Hello, and welcome back to Books Are Back. Today we will be reading The Phantom Tobith by Norton Juster. I'm Ursula. And I'm Catherine. I'm Ursula's mum. And it's a holiday edition of Books Are Back. We're recording this from Roy Bridge near Fort William in Scotland. And we're on our holidays. And we've decided that this is going to be the end of, of season, season one. one of Books Are Back so that we can enjoy a break and maybe come back to you in the autumn with the start of the school term. To mark this special occasion, or maybe for some of you not so special occasion, I've decided to change the format of my quiz. Quiz. Instead of it being at a distinct time around the end of the episode, Mum, you will be ambushed with bonus questions. Okay. <laughs> I'm still looking, looking, looking nervous about the ambush questions, but I can handle it because I remember tons about this book. <laughs> You're supposed to actually like the books and remember a bit about them before you bring them on the podcast. Okay, so that's the theme of this podcast. If you haven't listened before, the theme of the podcast is I bring books that I read when I was a child. And I read them. I recommend them to Ursula based on nothing but flimsy <laughs> recollection. And then It's Ursula, starting to put a dent in our conversational topics. Ursula reads them and tells us how they compare to her modern reading, whether she thinks they stand the test of time, and then quizzes me on what I can in fact remember about them. Which is almost definitely nothing. So I normally start by saying why I chose the book. So why did you choose the book? I read The Phantom Tollbooth when I was a child. Was it in a bookshop? No, I was definitely at home reading The Phantom Tollbooth. And I remember a book about it very much moving across a landscape. I think there's a map, and I think is there? I think there is, and I think that Milo has to trundle backwards and forwards in almost like a diplomatic mission across this strange country that he visits. I never and noticed the map before. We just turned up the map and the copy that we got with us. Um, so I think he he goes through this phantom toll booth. He arrives in a strange land and he trundles about. I feel very much having conversations with people to try and persuade them of each other's point of view or something like that. And a lot of the conversations are very philosophical. Yeah, there's philosophical, that's right. There's a lot of stuff goes about on. About seeing in, things from other people's points of view. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, like in this land, things are taken at face value, like it, turns of phrase might, they, like someone might say. Just to, wait two seconds. One, two, yes, right, what were you going to say? Yeah, or someone would say, if you take that shortcut, it will save you time. And Milo will say, why does it need saving? You know, what, I don't... No, that's not Milo. Milo will say, well, that shortcut saved me time. Well, why do you need to save time? You've got a clock there. Yeah, so I think 
there's a lot of that and there's a lot of things like you know he goes to a place where they grow the words and, and there are long conversations where someone explains to him how words are grown or or what that's yeah. what i remember that's right so is that what it's about yeah that's really about it what's it about so tell us what you thought well i thought that it was amazing when you read the blurb and when you get like a wee summary of the story you'd think that you're written in the first person like oh my god why is what but it's not it is in the third person which I think I flick backwards and forwards between liking. I think different styles of third person and first person I like more. And then there are others that I don't. But yeah, you're right. It, he travels basically throughout this kingdom. Um, he's trying to rescue Rhyme and Reason, basically. They're the princesses and um, they're brothers who never agree on anything. One is the king of the numbers and one's the king of the words. Had an argument about whether or not... Um, numbers or words were more important than each other, and rhyme and wisdom could settle any argument. But rhyme and reason. Yes. Right. But they wouldn't like take a side. They wouldn't say you're right. They would say, but wouldn't it be better to think of it this way? After all, numbers could not be created without words. Yet without numbers, words. Well, how would we use them? For example, rather than saying, well, you're right, words are better. Okay. And so they got rid of them and sent them up to the castle there. And they've got to be retrieved. So what's Because the, everything's going wrong. So what's the phrase that we use with rhyme and reason in it? I do not know, but... It's when something is confusing, you see. There's no rhyme nor reason to that. And since the land is so confusing, there's no rhyme or reason. Right. And if only rhyme and reason came back, things would be... Less confusing. In order, is that right? Yeah. Cool. So I think I perhaps get Milo slightly confused with a character called Jamie who had a magic torch. Who's Jamie? Well, there was a cartoon when I was small called Jamie and his magic torch and he used to shine a light in the ground and then I think drive down into a very hallucinogenic type tunnel and have adventures in a strange land. He's popped out in a strange land. Um, But so... Just to distinguish him slightly from Jamie, what is Milo like? Um, Milo's a very, he doesn't really like school, he doesn't, he doesn't understand what the point of learning all this stuff is. Why he needs to know it. And um, basically, he gets this package, which tells him, what did anyone turn about Tobbooth? If not perfectly satisfied, your waste of time will be refunded, so and so on. And basically says, we've got nothing better to do, reads the instructions, um, and I will actually read you the instructions. They are one genuine turnpike token, easily assembled at home and for use by those who have never travelled to lands beyond. This package contains the following items. One, then in brackets, one, genuine turnpike token to be erected according to directions. Three, three, precautionary signs to be used in a, a precautionary fashion, assorted coins for use in paying tools, one, one, map up-to-date, carefully drawn by master cartographers, depicting natural and man-made features, one, one, book of rules and traffic regulations which may not be bent or broken, and in small letters at the bottom it concluded, results are not guaranteed, but if not perfectly satisfied, your wasted time will be refunded. And so he sets up and he gets in his car and he goes through. 
And then he kind of almost explores himself, I think. He meets different people with different personalities and he's got to find new ways of looking at things. And what are the people that he meets like? Well, so he starts off, he goes to um, a place called the Daldrums because he's not concentrating. That is the first time I came across the word doldrums. What doldrums? Well, you've read the book. Were you not? Well, yeah, but like, what's the word doldrums? What does it mean? Well, it it means kind of down in the dumps, and it's also a reference to an area of the sea where it's very difficult to to get moving, and you get becalmed and stuck. So it's like turning head to wind. Yeah, but like, it's a whole part of the ocean where you tend to be stuck. Well, stuck because there isn't much wind. Okay. And he meets a little brand of people um, who live there who aren't supposed to really concentrate on anything. Now, Mum, first question. Who are these people? The, the, the dolls, the dims, the, the dismals. Um, the lethargarians. So they're lethargic. Is that the, the correct description? Yes. Right, because they live in the doldrums. Yeah, and it basically, they tell Milo their schedule, and it literally goes, at 8 o'clock we get up, and then we spend from 8 to 9 daydreaming, from 9 to 9.30 we take our early morning nap, from 9 to 30 to 10.30 we dawdle and delay, from 10.30 to 11.30 we take our late morning, our late early morning nap, from 11.30 to 12. We bide our time and then eat lunch. From 1 to 2, we linger and loiter. From 2 to 2.30, we take our early afternoon nap. From 2.30 to 3.30, we put off what tomorrow we could have done today and so on and so on. So do you find that funny? Yeah. I think I think that's really amazing. You know, and then it's from 7 to 8, we take our early evening nap. And then for an hour before we go to bed, that's 9, we waste time, so it's just like they, they just don't do anything. Right. Yeah, that's excellent. And then it's while they're there, or it's while Milo's there, that he meets basically his main companion, who is called Talk, and he's a watchdog, and he's got a clock in him. So he's like a dog with a clock in, in his kind of stomach, almost. But like you can see the clock, that's how he's been born. So he's a watch dog. Door. And he's supposed to be making sure that no one wastes time. And that's why they're scared of him in the doldrums. Because, right. you know, they're literally spending <laughs> their lives wasting time. Um, Excellent. Yeah. So who else is in it? And then there's the King of Words, who's kind of roughly the next person they could come to, who lives in... The Kingdom of Words? Nope. Alphabetical? Nope. Um, oh, oh, dictionary town. Close. Dictionophilus. I'll give you that. Dictionopolis. Nice one. And they grow words, and every week they have a word market where you can buy and sell words, and you can buy happy words, sad words, greeting words, goodbye words, words for any occasion, fancy words, not so fancy words, everyday words. Oh, I love it. I, I remembered that. Amazing. So... I saw you looking at the front cover of this brand new edition that we bought quite recently. I found it quite disappointing. I don't like it. Now, what do you think of the illustrations inside? Oh, they're lovely. But then the ones on the outside, they're just... 
they don't portray the characters in the same way as the ones on the inside do. It seems to me that the this new cover from is it a fiftieth yeah anniversary edition by Harper Collins? It seems to be suggesting that the book will be a magical adventure, very much in tune with other magical adventures you might be familiar with. You think? Yeah. Um, and it's not a Harry Potter book. It's a much more zany book. It's it's much more like, I think it's a bit like Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. That that I think that's the closest bit you could describe. In it fact, to. here is a picture that has a real Alice yeah, so quality to it. It's it, a picture of a a dinner that looks a lot like a Mad Hatter's tea party. Yeah. Well, in in the Kingdom of Words, whenever you go to a banquet at the King's, you get to say you get to have your own speech, and so Miles stands up and goes. Um, I don't know, he, he says something like, can I please thank him then? And he goes, right, sit down. That's you done. And then the next person stands up and goes, bubble and squeak. And bubble and squeak chocolate pudding marshmallows sits down. Um, toad in the hole, uh, strawberries and an apple, goes the next person, and so on and so on. And basically, you eat your words. And so he said the wrong thing. Yeah. Because you don't want to eat... Please and thank you. No. Oh. You want to eat strawberries and cream. Oh, funny. So, I mean, I think... I, I, I enjoyed this more than Alice in Wonderland. I don't think you've read Alice in Wonderland, have you? I think I tried it when I was six. Didn't really catch my eye. Yeah. But I was six. Um, But the illustrations were done by... The author. author. No. The author's upstairs neighbour. Oh, cool. So he met... The man who lived upstairs, who was an illustrator, and they became good friends. And he said, Oh, I'm writing a new book. Do you want to do the illustrations? Yeah. Although I read somewhere that Norton Juster drew the map because Jules. Now, I can't say that I'm going to offer to pronounce this actually. Jules Pfeiffer didn't really want to draw a map, but. Was that the upstairs neighbour? Yes, Jules Pfeiffer drew the illustrations. The map looks fairly similar, to be honest. Maybe he did draw it. Norton Juster was an architect. Okay. Um, but he wrote a number of children's books. Um, he started, as so many of the heroes' books are back, uh, did. He started writing children's books while he was on military service because he was far from home. Why were they? Oh, writing books in military service. He was far from home and he didn't have a lot to do in Newfoundland. So um, he wrote, not this one, but he started writing children's books and it seemed hunted. No, there aren't any sequels. I know you like to see these. Well, it just it allows you to explore the characters more. Yeah. So did you notice the puns in the story? I think so. I saw you, when you were giving us some of the readings, you were going quite fast, and I didn't didn't see you stop to give the cheesy grin that a person who's just made a pun normally gives. Did I make a pun? Well, in in the reading. When? I can't remember. You were going really fast. Um, um, no, but I, I do enjoy them. Okay. But I just, I don't know, I just, I, I see them, I go, 
And now they keep going, so okay. they don't necessarily register with me. I brought this um, introduction to the book from a different edition, not this HarperCollins edition, but another 50th anniversary book. I think an American 50th anniversary. Which Mark, written... quick quiz question. Is he American or British? He's American, definitely. Um, which was written by Michael Chabon, who's uh, an author. And he is talking about puns. He says puns are derided, booed and apologised for normally. How do you feel about them? I don't mind them. I've got like, my own ones that I make. And I like the ones that are made unintentionally that I put, get point out. Oh, right. Cool. So, so Michael Chabon goes on. He says... When my father and grandfather committed acts of punmanship, they were often, generally by the woman at the table or in the car with them, begged, if not ordered, to cease at once. Oh, sorry, just on the complete break of note, there was a good bit where, in a comic that I sometimes read, where it was like two turkeys talking to each other at Thanksgiving, and one went, would you like some... um?" would you like some berries and then he went no i'm stuffed and then and then in the top one it was ominous foreshadowing (laughs) (laughs) see i'm quite like even here they are quite like a bun maybe puns for guys things says michael shabon see i like a bun so i'm not so sure about that I can't see how anybody who claims to love language can fail to marvel at the beautiful slipperiness of meaning that puns like aquarium nets, momentarily catch and bring shimmering to the surface. Puns act to shatter or at least compromise meaning. A pun condenses unrelated, even opposing meanings, like a collapsing dwarf star into a singularity. Maybe it's this anti-semantic vandalism that leads so many people to shun and revile them. And yet I would argue... And it's a lesson I learned first from my grandfather and father, and then in the pages of the Phantom Talkers, that puns in fact operate to generate new meanings outside and beyond themselves. Anyone who jumps to conclusions... As, yes, that's a big thing. As to the island of conclusions. Yeah, there's a wee thing where they jump to the island of conclusions because they make a conclusion. And because they jump to a conclusion. Yeah. And um, quick quiz question. You remember the first thing that the person who they meet on the island of conclusions says to them? Milo goes, hello, can you tell us where we are? And the person says, shouldn't you know that? Hello, can you tell me who I am? Oh. So you got that wrong. Anyway, continue. Okay, carrying on. Um, He's only on the book for like two pages. Anyone who jumps to conclusions as to the island of conclusions is liable to find himself isolated, alone, unable to reconnect easily with the former texture and personages of his life. Without the punning island first charted by Norton Juster, we might not understand the full importance of maintaining a cautionary distance towards the act of jumping to conclusions, as Mr Juster implicitly recommends. And I wondered, looking at that, it's, first of all, it's about the joy of puns. But then it hints at the end towards kind of lessons in the book. Did you find it? Yeah. Did you find it like a... Was it telling you morals or...? It was. It wasn't a, I'm writing this book to tell you something. It was a, actually, do you know what? That is kind of about, I might just flesh that out a wee bit more. Are there quite a few kind of 
bon mot or, or, you know, rules to live by? Yeah, or... just things like, you know, not jumping to conclusions, always finishing what you've started, remembering that things can be misheard. Okay. Again, I just remember it being fun. I don't remember it being hectoring or... Yeah, it isn't hectoring, but, yeah. you know, you just pick up... Yeah, probably should have jumped to conclusions, don't want to get there. Yeah. That, that kind of wee thing. And... Did it end well? I saw that you had a panic this afternoon that it was going to end with, and then he woke up. Well, that did happen to me once in a bit. That really, really frustrated me. Um, no, it was fine. It didn't end with, and then he woke up. No. Okay. Are you going to reveal the ending? No. Okay. Does it have a good plot? Yes, it does. Okay, Mum, do you mind if I tell you just a wee bit about kind of the journey okay. and how it happens? So, once they leave Dictionodopolis, they start moving through the forest of sight. And the first person they meet is someone who teaches them about perspectives. Do you remember why this person is different? So, obviously, we as humans start on the ground, we grow up. But they have a different perspective. They start up and grow down. No. And um, their head is at the level it's always going to be at and they f- and they grow down until they reach the ground. Because they have the same pr- perspective all the way throughout their lives, whereas a toddler would be would be seen under a table until they grow over that table. Okay, cool. Then that person shows them this amazing village where there's nothing. Nothing can be seen because no one bothered to look. And so oh. everything just faded away. Okay. But then they go to see this orchestra that doesn't play sound, they conduct. Uh, mute colours? Yes! Ah, uh, now, I know, do you know, I, I don't remember that, but I worked it out because some people say that Norton Juster had synesthesia. Yes. Is that the I, word? I don't know, what is it? It's a condition where when you hear sounds, you associate them with particular colours, and people who have it... Um, see colours when they listen to music and they also they, they tend to do things like associate different um, numbers with different colours or different days of the week with different colours. That's really interesting. Yeah. So make that... organising very easy. Pardon? Make organising very easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they leave there and they move to the Valley of Sound where he, they meet people who are campaigning. So basically um they stopped really listening to all of the beautiful sounds, so the kind the soundkeeper just took them all away, and so they ask Milo, so they they can't speak anymore, and so they're going around with signs that say things like silence, I I don't know, like down with silence, or we want the right to speak, and then when they're explaining their predicament, they have to bring out this huge chalkboard and go, hello, are you here to help? So on and so on, and so they ask him to go up and steal sounds from the soundkeeper's fortress where he learns all about and it's really interesting how they make sound and how once the sound's been used it d- gets taken away and locked in a vault oh and i think that's really interesting yeah then he arrives in digitopia which is the numbers i'm calling capital. that i'm calling that digitopia yes digitopia do you remember how they make numbers do they mine them yes they do and so, and there's another interesting thing. So they, he asks, can you show me the longest number in the world? And then it stretches it out. And rather than actually showing you like did each digit, which is what Milo means. So it's just a single digit, like pulled out. <laughs> yeah, like really, blue. really far. 
and so they ha- they eat subtraction stew, and so they only eat when they're full, and then they eat their subtraction stew, and it like makes them hungry. <laughs> And then he, and then the math magician, the wizard says to him, next thing you're going to be telling me that you only sleep when you're tired. Because <laughs> they obviously sleep when they're feeling awake. And okay. To get more tired. Yes, exactly. And then they leave Digitopia and have to go through loads of different demons to get up to the castle here. Well, you know, that's fantastic. It just, some of that is really coming back to me. And it sounds like... You really enjoyed it. You've not been scared there to give a few spoilers. Didn't share your enthusiasm. I give them spoilers. No, I mean, I'm usually quite diligent about that. Share your enthusiasm for the book. I'm glad you enjoyed it. A good way to end the series. Yeah. Really interesting. Really good book. Well, so that's a recommendation for the Phantom Tollbooth. Don't get the 50th anniversary edition. It really, really spoils them. Yeah, look out for an edition with a Jewel Pfeiffer cover or something from the 70s when I read it. I can't remember what my cover was like. Or just something that isn't the 50th anniversary. <laughs> so follow us on Twitter at booksareback1 or on Instagram at booksarebackpod to catch what we're up to next and when we are going to start season two of Books Are Back. Thanks for listening. Bye. Goodbye.